but one of the things I really try to do is I try to be very specific when I'm talking. You know, I won't say like, oh, I had a fight with my wife last night or sometimes my wife and I argue. I'll be like, oh, yeah, last night I was I did that thing where I, I don't listen well and I was talking over her and she was saying to me, I don't feel hurt. And I had to, whenever she uses that catchphrase, that's always me. That's pause, stop immediately. That's something we generated in our marriage, you know, that I'm just dominating and winning, you know, mm. and that's not what. And so I'll be very specific when I'm talking to these, to the, to the young guys I'm discipling, because I want them to know specifically what this looks like. Hey friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast, where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called Life on Life Discipleship, where we provide you with personal coaching and equipping on your journey to taking on apprentices to multiply disciples. So to learn more about this coaching intensive, visit 1kh.org slash discipleship. And if you're interested in learning more about a thousand houses in general and want to check out some of our other resources, head on over to 1kh.org. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, guys, I'm really excited to uh, bring on to the Life on Life Discipleship course, Justin Wolfenberg. Justin, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, so Justin, I've known each other a long time. Uh, and one of, I, I, there's so much that I've learned from Justin about uh, different aspects of what it means to build into people. And I think one of the things that I know I have struggled with trying to understand about discipleship, sometimes you can get into teacher mode. And I, I feel like I'm a little susceptible to this one. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're here to learn from me. So let's just like make all of this like, and, and so you started talking about the importance of like vulnerability in disciple making. I'm like, Ooh, I don't really think we have talked about that or captured that properly. So I'm really excited to just to just hear what your thoughts are there. So yeah, tell me, tell me like, what, what is, what is that about? Like, how does that work for you? And tell us about that value in discipleship. Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I feel really fortunate, blessed, because when I was discipled, I was discipled by Chuck Moore, who really modeled this for me. And, I, and that's when I started to realize the power of it, of how much that helps you when you're trying to change. And one of the things I think we we think we're so such in a knowledge based culture right now that we're like, if I just have the right information, I'll do the right thing. And it's good to have the right information. We're consuming podcasts and information off the charts. But actually, what we change for is when our belief changes when we get down to the belief level and probably one of the biggest barriers we run into in our belief problems is we don't have hope <laughs> mm. and the way our system is set up is that we see people on podcasts or on videos or on stage at a church and we assume just by the nature of the system that they are better than they really are even if they're not trying to put on a show yeah. the system leads you to believe that they are better yeah. uh, than they really are. And so when you're discipling someone and you choose to be vulnerable about something that is, has happened in the past or something that has recently happened in your life, you're fueling the flames of hope because everyone believes, and I don't care, it's just like virtually universal that they're the only one struggling with the problem. And somehow they're different and you have somehow figured it out and you're way better than them. And when you're leading and coaching and you are vulnerable, it produces 
hope, <laughs> hope, hope, hope. And that's the antidote to shame, which is really the underlying thing that makes changing your behavior so hard. And I, I had many times, I just know when I'm sitting down with a guy and I'm talking about something and I'll, and I'll actually just share about the fight that my wife and I had the night before. I watch their whole body change. I watch their mm. countenance light up and they'll, they, 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 their, their face changes and they'll say something like, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm like, I didn't really want to. I'd much rather be in the power position where I yeah. feel like I know everything. You know, you pay like $125 to go to a counselor and they're like sitting there judging you the whole time. And you're like, Dude, are you a real person? Do you have real problems? And I think you give a gift and we disciple mm -hmm. in a way when you let them see what is what is what is there. And this what this really became cemented to me. I remember and this can be like one on one sessions or even letting them see your real life. I was mm -hmm. discipling a, a young man early on. He was a college guy, Sam, and he ended up moving in proximity, like across the street. And then he was like in my house a lot. And and he took a big risk to change his life, to move out of the college environment and to move into like a family centered deal. And he was there for one week and he'd he kind of come in my house where previously I was just meeting him in a coffee shop. And I remember I said, Sam, what was it? What was it? What's it like being here? What is it? You know, and he said, he goes, Justin, he goes, you know, you're just not as impressive as I thought you were. <laughs> You know, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I was sort of like almost had to catch my breath, you know, yeah. and I was like, oh, OK. And but it took me a while to process that and actually was like, oh, that's good, because under underlying, he's now saying, oh, I can actually do what you're doing. And his yeah. life has gone on a very powerful trajectory since then, you know, but he, he didn't believe he could do it, you know. Mm. And then another family moved in like six months later. And I said they were there for a week. And I said, you know, what's it like being here on our street? And they had it. And they said, well, it's been great. We saw your kids have a fight the other day. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, you know, and it was the same thing. They just, yeah. and I never, ever tried to portray that we were doing perfectly. But they were like, oh, we can do this, right? This isn't about perfection. So you you just, you, you, you give power to people. You give them the gift of hope. Yeah. And that's what we don't realize. It's not just knowledge. You want to give them great information. You want to give them great theology, great things. But until they have a hope, they're they're in chains. And when yeah. you're vulnerable, you give them hope um, as really when good. you're walking through. So I would say that's yeah. the real heart of what you're doing. And yeah. it's hard, but it's good. So uh, so one thought that I know I wrestle with is that I, I th there are people that want an expert, you know, like you said about the counselor who has it all together. And I think that there's something like that violates the gospel in that expectation. And so it seems like even like in the Sam example, on one hand, I think he's he's um, maybe, you know, in what he said, maybe he's hoping to, to come in and just be absolutely blown away. Um, but to your point, that actually increases the distance between, you know, where he is and where you know, what is actually realistic. And it also sort of distorts the gospel picture of what discipleship is all about. And I think that so many of us do want sort of a perfect ideal role model. Um, and, you know, and I think that, yeah, th there's something distorting about that, it seems like. And I think that p part of what I want to understand is like, obviously as a disciple maker, you could, you had just had a fight with your wife. You just had a, you just had a big thing that happened in your life that, that you could be vulnerable about. What like so to choose to be vulnerable to choose to sort of pop that bubble seems like that's that's almost like a that's almost like a overarching decision people have to make about discipleship. Are you going to lean into that and actually try to portray that or you know say that, or are you going to 
you know, try to ignore that and say, let's, that's not relevant to the discipleship relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you absolutely. And you just have to, it's, it's just, unless you have a personality disorder, it's just not fun to be vulnerable. I would, it, you lose the power seat. It's very comfortable yeah. in the power seat. You make yourself open to mm. problems when you are vulnerable. And so you have to be willing to, it, you know, when you say you have to almost be willing to, to lay your life down here, here is something I don't want to share, but I know, I know this is going to bear fruit mm. in your life. This young man that's uh, working with us now, uh, he's been kind of hanging around our family. He's actually working for me now. And, and I said, you know, one of the best things you're going to do is you're going to see every aspect of my life from <laughs> all day long. You're going to spend with me and lots of it. You know, I, I really believe when you're done, you'll see that you can actually do what we're trying to do here. And uh, our kids, my two younger boys had an incident with the neighbor and they weren't listening or something happened. I didn't know all the details, but they were disrespectful to one of the neighbors, you know. So that night he stayed for dinner and I said, you know, part of this deal of how this works is I'm going to go down there with my boys and, and apologize with them <laughs> and apologize as the father of the family. And, and I invited him to come see this whole thing play out. And he walked down with us. He saw us talk to the mom. He saw the boys apologize. You know, like we just, I brought him into the mess of my life of, of the good and the bad and the pretty and the beautiful and all of it. Uh, and when you do that, you just, uh, you inspire people that they can literally reproduce what you're doing. That's right, man. Yeah. There was a story I remember hearing once about a uh, a guy who was like a worship leader, and he was being taken into this um, village, and and uh, he was like packing his like guitar. They were walking into the village, and the missionary is like stops and is like, "Hey, put that guitar away." And the guy was like, "Why?" He's like, "I always lead worship with my guitar." He says, "Dude, if you bring your guitar into this village, they're going to have the most amazing worship that they've ever had." And they'll never reproduce anything because that, that's way out of their reach. So if you're going to serve, you can either serve yourself or serve them, you know? And so if you bring that guitar and you'll be serving yourself in some ways, because what you're doing is going to be non-reproducible. And that's why we're here. And I think that what you're describing here is, is very much that it's like, if you, yes. if you are vulnerable, uh, if you're not vulnerable, you can put yourself on a pedestal. You know, you could still have a really good experience. People could really learn a lot. But the chance of it transforming people and actually reproducing goes way up if you're vulnerable. If you're just like, oh, this is real. Not only could I imagine doing that, but I could imagine talking to the next person I'm discipling who's also broken and struggling and and give them hope because this this actually creates for this creates a pathway for reproduction as opposed to, you know, the pedestal. And I I don't think I've I properly like understand the tension. That, that that's creating because culturally, like you said, we, culturally, we actually design everything to look like it's, we're, you know, it's around a, a real true expert or authority figure, as opposed to a real vulnerable human being that is like everyone else, but is trying to, trying to initiate reproduction. Yeah, absolutely. And you do have to have some sense of authority and some sense of integrity and some of these things, obviously to be a disciple maker, it doesn't, invalidate the need for that. Uh, but one of the things I really try to do is I try to be very specific when I'm talking. You know, I won't say like, oh, I had a fight with my wife last night, or sometimes my wife and I argue. I'll be like, oh yeah, last night I was, I did that thing where I, I don't listen well, and I was talking over her, and she was saying to me, I don't feel heard. And I had to, whenever she uses that 
catchphrase. That's always me. That's pause, stop immediately. That's something we generated in our marriage, you know, that I'm just dominating and winning, you know, mm. and that's not what. And so I'll be very specific when I'm talking to these, to the, to the young guys I'm discipling, because I want them to know specifically what this looks like mm. when I'm, when I'm engaging with them. And so I think when I'm coaching people on being vulnerable, I'm like, be specific. You don't need to give every long drawing out detail, but you need to give enough that people can put their teeth around and not a vague mm. general statement. Yeah, that's good. I, you know, another phrase that comes to mind that really helped me think about this topic is boasting in your weakness. That's, that's incredibly counterintuitive. Um, but what, you know, what Jesus says to Paul in that, you know, passage in St. Corinthians is that my power is made perfect in your weakness. Like how am I, how are people supposed to, they're not supposed to trust you. They're supposed to trust me. And it's really through your weakness you're, and so that that phrase boasting, which is like to actually it, it sounds to me like it's like when you have to make a decision about what to talk about, um, boasting is essentially the thing that you, you know, you pull out of the file cabinet and say, let's talk about this. Like you could talk about anything. You could say, let's talk about this passage or this important or this amazing victory in my life. <laughs> but he's like, talk about the weakness, like pull the. So uh, any other um, practical um like thoughts about like almost like how to access this stuff from your file cabinet. Because I think sometimes what's going on is I know in my own life is, is like I, I'm almost accessing a different part of the file cabinet. I'm always accessing the, the, the lessons I've learned file cabinet. <laughs> and there's like this mm -hmm. other file cabinet right. you're saying, Hey, <laughs> you know, your failure, <laughs> your failure file cabinet, yes. like you got to find that, you know, pull, pull some of those files out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, and this is always good about remembering to tell your story. Like I'll, even when I'm leading a Bible study or story form life that I like to do, I'll always start with my story and I'll always put a piece of vulnerability in there about my drinking problem in the past. Or I'll talk, I'll tell stories early on about walking into Chuck's more office when I was a year and a half married and in tears going, I don't think I'm going to make it through my marriage, you know? So I try to tell that story and remember that story. It's good for me because I'm like, thank God redeem my life and put people in my life. You know, like it's good for me to remember that story, but also good for me to tell that story because it also goes, Oh, you were at that point where you were almost divorced and look where you are now, you know, like that whole trajectory of that story is so powerful. So if you don't, or you haven't written your story out, you should write it out. I was blessed to work on a church and I was telling it all the time, you know, cause that was the culture. I was really thankful for that. Like we were telling our stories. Uh, and so that would be a, a big tool is write out your story with the details. And then once you write that out, you've got that file cabinet there to remember some of those real dark moments in your life. You know, like when I was, I'll never forget sitting in a circle with two guys, Nate and Byron, who are still my friends today, you know, in 1997 <clears throat> in tears crying because of drunkenness and getting drunk and those guys hugging me and praying for me, you know, and helping me overcome that. Like that memory, I don't want to ever forget that. I don't ever want to go back there, but I don't ever want to forget what that experience yeah. was like. So those stories are really, really important in our walk. That's good. Because when yeah. we meet people, they're way farther back. They're like 10 steps back on that journey and you've got to go back 10 steps right. and then walk <laughs> with them back forward. You know? It always surprises me when, when I, when I do tell a story, how surprised people are like, Oh, that's what you were like to like, I'm further than you were when, you know, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, and that, to the point they're like, Oh, well, I thought I had to be like, you are now not like where you were, you know, and even we're comparing yourself to somebody else is always dangerous, but it's, it's like, you yes. got to keep, you know, pushing that, that pedestal down. And I, I found that, you know, like 
I discovered this when I started, you know, doing more Q and A's people would oftentimes raise their hand and say, so Jeremy, tell me about a, like a mistake you made, or, you know, what, what's, what's <laughs> like, when did this not work? And, 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 uh, and, uh, I, I, I realized, um, I actually had to do what you're describing. I had to go back and journal these failures because I kind of block them out. Like I'm, you know, and then I started, Heck journaling yeah, we about do. Them. yeah, like it's convenient. It's very, <laughs> it's very therapeutic to, to forget <laughs> your failures. Um, and so I started like, you, know, you could even say like, list your top 10 failures in your, you know, in your discipleship or, you know, in your, in your walk, um, and, you know, journal, even if you have like a, a paragraph or two about each. Um, so that they're they're right there. So that if somebody were to ask you the question, "Hey, what's a couple examples of times where you you know you really messed up?" Um, you can very quickly access that file cabinet and talk about that, and then that's going to make it much more accessible. If you if we're going to actually you know follow the, this command that Paul lays out, and that is to boast about it, like because that's what lifts Jesus up. And I I know that for me, um, having to go back there, having to like journal some of those things. Um, yeah, it really required a little bit of work on my part to make sure that that, that was accessible enough so that I could talk about it quickly, that I, I would bring it up naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any other, uh, any other last uh, tips or help, you know, as you think about being vulnerable in discipleship that you, you found uh, that might be helpful for everybody? Yeah, I would, I'll just reiterate the beginning is you're giving hope and hope fuels life change, not knowledge. And so when people see your brokenness it honestly gives them hope yeah and if you want to be fruitful in this they need hope to change yeah that's where paul was like the perfect example he was like the most egregious sinner and then he would talk about yes. it he, and he, he's got that crazy uh one of my favorite verses about this is the first timothy where he says this is a, a a saying that's worthy of full acceptance that jesus came to rescue sinners of which i am the chief yes <laughs> and i'm like wow i mean the more impressive you find Paul, the more um, the more shocking that backstory is, and therefore the more power you believe the gospel really has to transform lives. So I love that yes. message of like give people hope, deepen their faith. But part of that is the story can't be I was basically a good person and then Jesus made me slightly better. Let's uh, that's what discipleship looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's oh, great. Doesn't give anybody hope. Okay, thanks so much, Justin, yes. for uh, jumping okay. in the middle of your workday and talking to me about this. this is really helpful. Yeah, I'm going to go get back on the roof. Talk to you later, Jeremy. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a deep desire to actually make disciples in your context, but you simply don't know how, we'd love to invite you to apply for our coaching intensive called Life on Life Discipleship, where you're going to work through online content and receive personal coaching on this journey to making disciples that multiply. So for more information and to apply for this coaching, head over to 1kh.org discipleship. We'll see you for the next episode.